Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. For the past 20 years, Kim Daly has been helping people realize their dreams of business ownership through franchising. While helping thousands of other people to live their dreams of business ownership, she has been living her own. Today, she is recognized as one of America's top franchise consultants. She is an international best-selling co-author of Franchising Freedom and the founder and host of Kim Daly TV. Before becoming a franchise consultant, she was an entrepreneur extraordinaire and highly sought-after consultant in the health and fitness industry, working with brands such as Denise Austin, Dr. Dennis Waitley, Gold's Gym, and eDiets.com. She is the creator of The Daily Plan, a millionaire mindset coaching program that enabled her to build the largest franchise consulting business in the history of franchise consulting. She aspires to be the most influential and motivational voice in the franchise industry. And when she's not doing all of that, Kim is a mom of two teenage boys. She is passionate about fitness and nutrition. She loves to work out and ski, and she lives on the beach in Southern New Hampshire. I'm excited to have the conversation and learn more about this top performer guest. So let's get this show on the road. Kim Daly, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. I'm excited about having you on the show. We've just met. We literally had a three-minute kind of pre-podcast, so we're going to be on the journey to get to know you. So thanks for joining me. 
Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Kim, you know, I lead into all of these podcasts with the fundamental of, you know, wanting my listeners to understand who my guest is. There's nobody better, you know, beyond my intro. What I need to get from you is what do you how do you answer somebody who says, gosh, Kim, nice to meet you. What do you do? I help people invest in franchise businesses. Like I help people find freedom in their life. That's what I've been blessed to do for the last 20 years. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. So I'm sitting here looking at you and I'm going, okay, when did you start? When you were 12? Um, so good for you. And tell me a little bit about the whole franchise thing and how you got started in it. Now, there's a number of questions I want to go with, by the way, but let's just start there. How did you get started on that journey of supporting franchise, potential franchisees? Yeah, you know, Patrick, because it's not like obvious that I grew up saying, oh, yeah, I want to be a franchise consultant. <laughs> <laughs> said nobody ever. I said nobody ever. <laughs> so, uh, actually, you know, I was on my way to medical school and I answered a classified ad in the newspaper. So the my age because <laughs> i know i have to tell my kids what a classified ad is <laughs> and it was for a franchise consulting company not the company i'm part of today but obviously it changed my life but it never it didn't really change my life patrick when i got into the franchise industry and saw that this was an industry of people helping people this is an industry where Every day, people wake up to live their own dreams and then to help other people live their dreams. I found what like what was always inside of me. Just I found my people and I have become an entrepreneur. I, I am a franchisee. Now I'm a coach to help other people become franchisee. So it just was exactly where I was always meant to be. I just thought it was a deviation, but I think I ended up exactly where I was born to be. That's so fantastic. When we find that niche that lights us up every day, get to be a contribution, get to have significance, get to really make a difference in the world. That's very cool. So good for you. Give me an example, Kim, of is there a common franchise? Because when I think of franchise, and, and, I, and I understand franchise quite well, but when I think of it, and I know I or I think some many People think about, you know, vending machines as a franchise, you know, be your own boss, have your own time is, but I know it, you know, well, I, of course, it's more than that. What is it for you? What is some of the more common things that you look at, Kim? Okay. So being a Canadian, I thought you were going to say Tim Hortons. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, there's Tim Hortons and McDonald's. I mean, that's, those are two big right. obvious ones. But you'd have to beg me to show you food. Like that's one of my greatest pleasures is shocking people by telling that telling them that I'm one of America's top franchise consultants and I like never place anybody into food franchises and barely ever into retail, like meaning high inventory, you know, brick and mortar type business. So uh, my sweet spot is service. There are so many businesses out there that you may not realize are franchise businesses, like in the home services space, Patrick, things like cleaning services, power washing companies, gutter companies, patio building companies, the companies that keep your lawn green, spray your backyard for mosquitoes, clean your pool. Like there are franchise businesses in all of those categories. There are franchise businesses that are B2B entities. So if there's a business that supports another business, I can almost guarantee you there's a franchise of that. So like HR and recruiting services or um, payroll and accounting services, expense reduction services, business coaching services, all of those 
are franchise businesses. So there's so many different types of companies. And in fact, this is why I have a business because when someone comes to the idea of like, okay, Kim, I'm tired of my W-2 job or, hey, I own real estate investments and I'm looking for diversification in my, in my portfolio. I don't really have an idea to start a business and don't really want to start from scratch. So they turn to franchising. They say, you know, where do I begin? You look at Entrepreneur 500. How do you know? Like, what's a good investment? So my job is to help people kind of funnel themselves down to the, the top three to five options based on the characteristics that they're looking for in a business, what they can financially afford to invest in. And then most importantly, above all of that, Patrick, is the relationship with the franchisor. So I stand on my soapbox every day and tell people, you are not buying a brand. You are not buying a widget. You are buying a relationship, right? That's why you go into franchising, to be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. I look at what's happening today. So th thank you for that. That's a great, that's an awesome overview. And, you know, when I look at what you just said there is that the relationship that you're first to have to understand is that with the franchisor. So that's, are you in this kind of world, are, is, are you representing the franchisor? Is that the marriage that you're creating and are, and there's a representation there? Yes. So uh, my service is free for any candidate out there who's like, oh, I want to work with Kip Daly to find a franchise. Yes, it's free for you because I get paid by the franchisors. So think of it like this, instead of franchisors setting up trade show booths on weekends, right? Or advertising organically on the internet and getting hundreds of leads and not knowing like which ones are really serious, which ones are financially qualified, where do we even begin calling this list of people? They can come to consultant groups and say, hey, we're looking for people with these skills who have this much money, who live in these markets. You find them and bring them to us. We like them and award them a franchise. We'll pay you a fee. So I call myself like the e-harmony of franchising <laughs> because, because I'm really like a matchmaker. And like when you work with me, once I define the top three to five companies, I set you up to go on a blind date. And I, I use all kinds of dating analogies because it makes the subject more... Uh, relevant, like people get it. Yeah. They understand the analogy. And I do all of the breakup work. You know, sometimes men will be like, well, where were you in college? <laughs> I could have used you. So that's, that's terrific. Now, when you look at what you just said there, Kim, and, and I'm wondering, you know, given what's happening economically and, you know, this whole conversation or trend, we'll call it, you know, what was referred to as a gig economy. But then we look at what's happening economically and mm -hmm. people going, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job or I have lost my job. I don't know what my future looks like if I continue to try and live under this umbrella of security by working for somebody. Give me some kind of perspective of is the, is the franchise business a booming business because it opens the door for people to actually kind of live a different set of dreams or to become that self-employed individual where they're not worrying about, you know, getting laid off or having to be in corporate politics, for example? Give me some idea of who the clients are these days and has it changed since COVID? It's awesome question. So a long time ago, Patrick, a mentor taught me in good times and bad, the franchise industry grows. What people invest in and their motivations for investing will change. But the end result is 
they invest. So in a really good economy, people want a part of that American dream or the Canadian dream, right? They want to they build their own future and have that control. And so they're investing and they might be investing more in, you know, the fun businesses, the want based businesses in a bad economy. People fear losing their job. And so they're recreating stability. They lose money in the stock market. They've got to rebuild that net worth. And so they're looking to recreate and again, get control. And so what they invest in may be different. They may be looking more at essential services if there's some risk aversion due to a recession. But the end result is they invest. There's always going to be an investor looking to invest. And, you know, during the pandemic, my business never shrunk at all. From 2019 to 2020, I, I, I produced exactly the same number of investors. And then in 21, it went way up. And this year, I think it's going to go even higher based on the first six months of the year where we are so far. So things are like looking way, way up right now. But that's a different conversation. I think the reason that people are roaring back is whenever people feel suppressed, right? The, the opposite happens, like if the government is pushing down, then people fight back for freedom. And that's just what I'm seeing. You know, people are just looking for ways to control their financial future, to build cash flowing assets, to create more tax advantage so they can pay less tax, to build that stable, predictable income for them, themselves and their, and their families. So, I mean, to answer your question, it's yes, the industry is growing. Uh, people are investing in all different types of businesses. It's so individualized to the investor. You know, you can say the theory that in a good time, people buy wants and in a bad time, people buy needs. But look, I I helped people all during the pandemic invest in fitness. So you're like, fitness? Those, those clubs weren't even open. But you know what? Sometimes investors know that when, um, when other people are looking down, like where there's obstacle, if you're daring or willing to look up, there's an opportunity. And it was really the perfect time to invest in certain businesses because as the mom and pop businesses closed, never to reopen, those landlords sitting on those leases were very aggressive with leasing terms, with build up, paying for build outs, in some cases, 100%. So I had some fitness franchisees who invested in, you know, late 2019 you know, getting their first club open around February of 2020, only to close their doors, but with strong leadership by the franchisor, went on to open multiple units in 2020, just for all the reasons I just mentioned, because the leases were at historic low rates. And if you could have the guts to do it, you could get the best lease, which is only going to make your business that much profitable when the world came back. So you talk, you know, that's so interesting, Kim, and you just said something there that, you know, we look at somebody opening a store or a, 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 whatever, a, a, look, we'll call it a store, we'll call it a gym or whatever it was in that case, where strong leadership from the franchise or kicked in and they were able to actually get through that downtime. Give me some insights into if somebody's looking at a franchise and having and working with you even on a franchise or what what are you looking for how are you bringing a franchise forward a fran and having a discussion with a franchise or i mean i'm assuming you're doing some level of diligence so that you're not coming forward with a franchise or that you're not confident in or doesn't have a track record that you would like to see uh, how do you kind of 
filter, if you will, that franchisor so that you can count on that leadership when times get tough or when things kind of go off course for a bit? Yeah, I'd love that question. I'd also like to answer that question from what am I looking for for the potential new franchisee for the investor? Sure. But to start, yeah, to start with the, for the person who's listening, to start from the franchisor's perspective. So look, I am not, um, I'm not making any, like I have no legal relationship between franchisee, you know, and franchisor. So it's, it's very relational. That's the answer. The idea is that I've been doing this for 20 years. My database of franchisors is not some like algorithm. You know, when I type in all the characteristics, I'm not typing in characteristics. As I'm getting to know people, I get a sense of, you know, their Christian values or their empire building mentality or the scale of the business that they want to build and other characteristics. And I know my franchisors. I know which franchisors like the man in the van with the plan. They want the unit operator. I know which franchisors want that empire builder that have jacked up the cost. Like they, they, They're asking people to come to the table with more working capital because they want to help you build a million dollar business in your first 12 months. So it's having those relationships and the experience that again, if a candidate's looking at you know Entrepreneur Magazine or surfing the internet, you would never know based on how they present their company, you know, on a, on a website, the stuff, the insights that I know, but that's really how I'm, I'm, I'm making my matches and I'm bringing back three to five and then I'm coaching so that my candidates can know, like, what are the questions to ask? What should I be focused on? Cause I'm getting their focus off of number one, passion for the widget. We'll come back to that if you want. Mm-hmm. Number two, what they think they know about the business, because sometimes that's a limiting belief. It's always a limiting belief. People think, well, I can't own an automotive business. I know nothing about cars. And if you needed to know something about cars to own it, the franchisor would tell you that, right? So oftentimes that's a limiting belief that once I can coach people through that, they can move beyond and it allows them to cast a wider net and look at many, many different types of industries and franchisors. So it's about the relationship. It's about their financial capability. But from the franchisor's perspective, it's also about the relationship, their financial capability, their experience in building franchises. I'm not opposed to bringing emerging brands. I love emerging brands. But an emerging brand brought by Kim Daly will always be backed by a leadership team that has demonstrated a track record in franchising. So they've built and sold maybe another franchise brand into private equity, right? Or maybe it's a parent organization that has multiple franchises underneath one umbrella. And look what they've done with all of these other brands, but here's the new one. And the new one is the one that has open territory where my candidate lives. So it's it's reasonable to assume that if they've had success in all of these other brands, this one's going to go the same way. So I'm not asking my candidates to be a guinea pig, but at the end of the day, it's their life. I'm bringing back three to five. I'm teaching them how to do the due diligence and they have to decide for themselves. Does one of these feel like the best partner for them? Okay. So I'm going to come back to the, you know, you walking them through or coaching them through their process in a minute, but give me some, you know, I'm working backwards from the quality of the franchise or, but then on the other side of it, to your point earlier is who is that candidate and how do, 
you kind of deal with where do, who's coming to you give me an example if you can kim because it's interesting that i just recently i think it was ray dalio shared a stat on a podcast i was listening to him and he was being interviewed and he was talking about business and entrepreneurship and he said the reality of it is statistically is le- is that less than 4% of the population should ever even consider or would be of the mindset to be a entrepreneur many and yet more people believe they could be or that they should be and the reality of it is is that it takes certain characteristics it cert- takes certain ways of thinking and being to consider being an entrepreneur you know that i know that because we're entrepreneurs have been for a long time but so i ask you this question is that when somebody's coming to you you know are they coming to you because they've they are done with their job, that they're an existing entrepreneur, they want to grow a business. Like, give me some kind of flavor for who's coming to you and asking to look at a franchise. I love that. And I would also say to Ray, one of the things I've learned in my 20 years is that it is not my job to tell anybody if they are right for this moment in their life to think about becoming a business owner. And you're right, business ownership isn't right for everybody, but in in franchising, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And there are lots of other people around you to support you. So entrepreneurship probably has a very, very small number, but I think franchising widens that net to a much uh, bigger reach. I think anybody who comes to the idea of wanting freedom for their financial, freedom for their future, to build a legacy for their family, to diversify their real estate portfolio, to build cash flowing assets, someone who's built a life in corporate America and is retiring, but has still got more in their gas, you know, in their engine and wants to keep going. Uh, Oftentimes people are, you know, um, in, in all of those places, Patrick, when they're thinking about owning a franchise, but when they come to the idea of owning a franchise, it's really a level playing field because if you're partnered with the right franchisor, While success is not guaranteed, if they have a proven track record and you wake up and do and execute on that plan, it's reasonable to assume that you can be successful. Now, there's a lot of other factors that go in. I mean, I if if I'm nothing, I am a mindset coach. And I say that the biggest determining factor of your success will be your mindset more than what you physically do. And I've proven that through my own business and I've proven it to all of my candidates. But to sum up everything I just said, like we never know who's going to go on and become the successful franchisee. There are people, I have videos on my YouTube channel, which a little shameless plug is Kim Daly, D-A-L-Y dot TV. But I have interviews where I share this story. There, I've met people that I thought to myself going through their investigation, like, uh, I don't know if this person should, you know, say yes. And th- this was when I was a much younger consultant. And um, and there's a couple of people I, I, that immediately come to mind that today are multimillionaires in their franchise. Mm-hmm. One of them is in a franchise with over 900 franchisees and he's consistently in the top 25 performers. His his business generates over $200,000 a month, which as you know, in a small business, is a fair amount of money with a very small team of people. And that's a guy that uh, hands down, when I first met him probably over 10 years ago, I thought to myself, oh dear Lord, I hope he figures out he should not say yes to a franchise. 
So thank God I did not play God and tell him what was best for his life. And on the flip side, Patrick, you've had people who, you, when you look at them on paper, you know, military background, so they can follow orders and they have great leadership skills and sales background. So they're great communicators. You know, they can bring people together. They can help people understand their message who've gone on and flopped, never did anything or just said, yeah, you know what? This isn't what I thought. I'm going to go back to corporate America and sell their business. Like what happened there? Right. So the determining factor for success in a franchise, it's not obvious. Um, I think it, it is to me. It's mindset. It's competitive drive. It's how bad you want it and what you're willing to do. Those are really the determining factors. It's, it has more to do internally than it has anything to do externally. So give me some idea. I mean, I think I have a pretty good concept of it, but Kim, let me know here, when you talk about a franchisee and a candidate to be a potential, you know, owner of a franchise, you know, what are some of the questions maybe that they should be asking themselves? What should they be considering when they're looking at franchises? You know, to your point, you go, well, maybe I'm going to own an auto shop franchise, but I know nothing about cars. But that doesn't prevent me from being the CEO of a franchise that is an auto shop dealer, you know, so, but give me some insights into if somebody's sitting here today listening to this and considering, oh, this franchise thing is interesting, what's some of the questions that they perhaps should be asking themselves? Where I always begin the conversation is with a little daydreaming and a vision of your future. I'm infinitely more interested in where people want to end up. Like, what are your goals? What are you using this investment for? because ultimately that's what a business is, right? So it's to produce a financial outcome, personal and professional growth. So if you can define for me the type of owner that you wanna grow into, meaning I envision being a business owner who creates jobs in my local community, where when I come to work every day and inspire my team and pay, make the payroll, I know that because I dare to live my dream, I'm feeding 20 families in my local community or whatever, like that type of a mentality. Or uh, somebody who says to me, I want to build a business that my teenage children can grow up in and work in. And then over time, as my wife and I transition, leave it to our kids. So I'm more interested in what people are using the business for. Financially, what are you striving to achieve? And whether it's monthly, you know, income or annual income, are you starting out full-time? Are you looking to be a semi-absentee owner, meaning a part-time owner where you work really on it, but you manage teams of people who work in it? And professionally, what is the skill? What are the skills that you bring to the table? So the reason franchises don't need widget masters is because when you really scale back and you look at what is a franchise, a franchise is a sales and marketing company. That's it. Like, why do most small businesses fail? People run out of money. Why do they run out of money? Because they can't figure out how to get customers. Why are most franchise businesses successful? Because they're sales and marketing engines. <laughs> There's correlation. This is so, so true. That's so, so true, right? Right. So. So I don't need you to know about the widget. The franchisor can train you about, you know, the, a 21 point house cleaning system. If your business is, you know, um, a, a house cleaning franchise or, but they can't train you how to be that boss that literally wakes up 
to serve his employees, right? They can't train you to love prospecting. Like over time, you can learn to do that. And I think all business owners have to learn that that's part of success in a business is being that brand ambassador, wearing the shirt in the community. And to the extent that you're comfortable being the shirt and being the face of your brand in the community, the more successful you're going to be. But it's those skills, it's operational skills, sales skills, management and leadership skills the franchisor can teach you the rest. So that's what I'm looking for. And, and again, I'm looking for your vision. If you do not have a vision, I cannot help you. So just get one. <laughs> Before you reach out to me, figure out what you want from life. When you know what you want, and I mean, I want people to dream big because you can build a multi-million dollar business for yourself. But on the flip side, if you're like, Kim, I've done all of that. My wife and I just want a little meaningful activity to do. We, we don't want to just sit and play golf every day, like a small little business that we can operate the two of us. We've got those options too. So by knowing, see what I mean? By knowing what you're using the business for and is it a five-year or seven-year build and sell? Is it a 10 or 15-year build and hold? Because those are different types of investments used for different reasons. You know what I love about and what I, you, I bring the ideas. What you what I love about what you've said in all of that is this goes back to the fundamental that we as, you know, in in our world of real estate investment is that if you're investing in real estate and it, and it's all about the money without what we would call the why, which is really what you're talking about. You know, you don't get into a franchise because you're going to make money. Yes, you, you will make money as a result of operating that business, but that business has got to really fit your why. Why are you going to get up? It's no different than you right now as we sit and your energy and your uh, what lights you up in terms of supporting people in creating a financial future in the fran by buying a franchise and then making sure they're lined up well. I mean, that's what lights you up. That's what fulfills you. That's what really keeps you going on a day-to-day -day basis with your business. And I love that aspect of it. Now, when you look at, you said earlier that you do some coaching and you coach people through, I get the, you get the, you coach them through the process of choosing the right franchise or, or the right deal, however that might be. Are you also supporting them on the business side of it? Let's say they buy that franchise and yes, there's, you know, the, this is what you're going to learn as part of the franchise. And these are the systems and the processes that you're going to follow. Is your relationship with them go into that uh, as well? Do you follow them into that process at some level? Or once your job is done, it's done in that regard? Give me a little bit of insights into how you operate, Kim. So, I mean, everything you just said is so true. Like, I fall in love with my people. Like, I, that's why I love my business. And I, I tell all of my candidates, officially, when I marry you off on your wedding day to your franchisor, the day you sign your franchise agreement and wire your fees, officially, my job is done but I am here for all of my candidates, like for the life of their business. I mean, I am, I want to be their daily coach. During the back end process, I share my story of how I spent eight years as an average performing consultant. And then I got clear and focused with a vision and a daily plan, which I now call my millionaire mindset plan. It's a coaching plan that I offer to my candidates. 
Then one year later, I had I was a history-making consultant. I had built the largest franchise consulting business in the history of franchise consulting. And that was back in 2012. I've grown it for the last decade, expanded it, taught what I do to other consultants. And now I teach what I do to all of my candidates. So before they kind of graduate from Kim Daly, they have my gold, but they know that my phone will ring for them and I will answer it no matter what. Because many times, you know, Patrick, saying something, saying you're going to do something and then doing it are two different things. Of course. <laughs> right. And while the plan can be simple, <laughs> execution of the plan is usually never easy. <laughs> so oftentimes, you know, you get three, six months into business ownership and you sort of have this like aha moment where you're like, oh, my God, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And it's not bad. It's sort of like when you become a parent, right? Sure. You're having the baby, you're having a baby shower, you're dreaming about being a parent. And then you have the baby and you're like somewhere along the line, whether it's when they're three months or one year or my, in my case, I have 14 and 15 year old boys. You realize, holy crap, this is hard. <laughs> you're in it to win it. But sometimes you just need somebody who knows you to be like, okay, coach me through this moment. And I'm here for my people. And I do, I do all of that for free. I do not charge my people. I just want them to live their life and, and to be successful because if they're successful, then when their friends get laid off, they think of me, I'm 100% referral driven. And so when, if I can be good and bless other people, then they in turn bless me. The reason I am 100% referral driven is because all of my people bless me so much when they send all of their referrals to me. So this is, I love this conversation and how you show up. And this has been a lot about what you do and your business and franchise. But I want to talk a little bit more about Kim. Now, I've come to realize that, you know, when I talk about the Everyday Millionaire podcast, I'm always having conversations with what I refer to as seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved extraordinary results. And you certainly fall easily into that category of seemingly ordinary, not so much, you know, really, but, you know, perhaps seemingly ordinary, extraordinary for sure. But I want to go back to how you got on this journey, you know, because perhaps as you're speaking with even your potential franchisees, you start to realize that you don't necessarily come out of the chute as an entrepreneur. It's sometimes it's develops. Is it nature? Is it nurture? For you, let's go back a little bit in your history and tell me how it is that you got on the entrepreneurial journey that you're on today. Yeah. So most children of entrepreneurs, I think there's a very high statistic that most go on to become entrepreneurs. I certainly hope that that statistic is passed on to my children, but that was my case. My father was an entrepreneur. And like I said, I, I really like, I was a straight A student. Um, I was dedicated to going to medical school. There were two things I wanted to be when I was growing up. So I grew up in the Miss America pageant organization. If, if you gave me a microphone, <laughs> I was going to get it on the microphone and perform in some way, whether it was a speech competition or, you know, answering questions on stage or walking in an evening gown, I was taking the opportunity. And so um, when I was 15 years old, my dad gave me a book by Dr. Dennis Waitley called The Psychology of Winning. And I remember sitting on the floor in my bedroom, devouring that book. It's a great book. And I knew, do you know the book? Yeah, yeah. And I eventually, the first business I started, I actually got to meet Dr. Dennis Whaley, which was like a life-changing moment. But anyway, so 
I remember thinking to myself, I want to be, I want to do this. I want to inspire other people. Like I want to learn this so I can go be a role model to other people. But like, how does one do that? How does one grow up and become a motivational speaker? You know, like back in the day, you know, Tony Robbins is still really big today, but he was the man in the eighties. Right. So my dad invested in all the Tony Robbins tapes for me, but like, how do you do that? So I was a straight A student, I liked science, so I'm gonna help people by becoming a doctor. And it really was, again, that classified ad and landing in franchising and seeing what this industry was about that brought me back to, I have, the reason I was a straight A student, I graduated summa cum laude as a nutritional biochemist is, I'm just a driven person. When I was 12 years old and I wanted to be in the pageant, my parents were like, great, but we can't really afford that. But they were like, look, you can go out and raise money. I wasn't shy. I started knocking on doors at 12 years old, asking business owners, telling people who I was, what I wanted to do and asking them to sponsor me. My parents never, after 12 years old, my parents never paid for any gowns or trips or anything. And I competed for 12 years. So I... I got good at asking people to help support me and my cause. And um, and I mean, that was just part of my journey. Looking back, I mean, my parents not being able to help me financially was a blessing. Probably at the time, I probably didn't love that I had to go out and raise all that money myself. But looking back, look, I mean, it created the opportunity for me to, to um, talk to anybody, <laughs> to sell myself, you know? And when I, I went to Boston College, and when I went to Boston College, I was looking for an on-campus job, and they had the BC Alumni Fund. So I went on to become the number one telemarketer for the Boston College Alumni <laughs> If you, I found out that I was very competitive. If you dangle a money goal in front of me. <laughs> You're all over it. I was, I was going to win every time. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. So, I mean, I think it's all of these things adding together, Patrick, you know, it just, it builds the story to what I'm doing today. But I think it's important to, you know, look back on that as, you know, as we share with, you know, listeners, some insights that you gained through that time. And, you know, some of it's, I guess, you know, philosophical or, you know, some maybe even esoteric in some regards. But I mean, ultimately, as a young uh, girl growing up, you were challenged to do those things. You, for whatever reason, you were, you know, driven to have that outcome. But I think in behind all that, there's probably an important aspect of it, which is that you're parents didn't shut you down either. They didn't say, no, we don't have the money. They said, no, go figure it out. And when you came up with whatever ideas that you came up with, which I'm sure were creative at times, they weren't making you wrong and or suggesting that you couldn't do that. That's what I'm getting from that is, is that in fact the case? It's so true. My parents were incredibly supportive of all of my goals. They still are today. Um, they never stood in my way. They always just helped me figure it out. Yep, it's so true. You know, and growing up, and I, I, I've always been like very competitive with myself, driven myself. I was a swimmer, a competitive swimmer and a state champion swimmer. And it was hard to make friends. And I mean, my dad, there are isms in my life that I give credit to my father for. Like, you know, I would come home crying sometimes because girls could be super mean, you know, when you're a teenage girl and you, and you want to be a person of excellence and you want to be a role model. And that can be misinterpreted at 13 and 14 as conceited or whatever. And my dad, the number one thing he used to tell me 
was, Kimberly, eagles don't fly in flocks. And even to this day, I'm, you know, I just turned 50 years old. That will never, that will never leave my mind. And it's so true. And, you know, when you hear that, like, truly successful people keep their group of friends really small, there's a reason for that, right? Because not everybody has your best interests at heart. But at 13 years old, that message still worked for me. Another one that he always said was, the difference between good and great is inches, not yards. And I was a swimmer, so he's always relating it to, you know, the difference between gold and silver is one hundredths of a second, Kim. So you think that like it's it's successful people have successful habits. It's just doing the little things consistency, consistently and with excellence because everybody won't do it. But if you're the one who's willing to do it, you can be that winner. And, and those are just like, those are just two little golden nuggets that I've carried with me through my entire life. And how true are those things? It's so true. It's fantastic. Now, just out of curiosity, did you have siblings or were you only child? Where were you in that world? So I'm one of four. My oldest brother had, there is, there. I was going to bring this up earlier. There is something to my personality, which of course we harass my mother about all the time to which she says there's no truth to it. And we just all roll our eyes like who her favorite child is, which it's not me, by the way. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that on this podcast. We'll say it's my little sister. <laughs> but um, my older brother had special needs. And then um, my little brother, so my, my youngest sister came along like years later. So there was three of us and then a big break and then a, another sister. And then my younger brother at the time, like we used to joke, like he could do no wrong. So I had to be the overachiever to even, for anybody to even recognize that I was there, you know? And I and my dad, would, my dad would always say, oh, you were Miss Independent. And I'm like, no, I was independent because you were too busy worried with, about Shane, my brother with special <laughs> needs. So if I didn't figure out how to feed myself, I couldn't eat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> can get my parents going so good. And now as a mom, I totally know none of it's true, but it's still fun to harass my parents about it. <laughs> of course it is. That's the fun thing about being a parent and, and of course, having parents that you can still have these kinds of conversations with. I love that. Now, as I'm listening to you, Kim, you know, there's an aspect of it that, you know, I get your drive and, and I understand that, you know, you had outcomes, you had goals, you had dreams, you had aspirations. But along the way, you know, you're getting guidance from your father, your mother. How important has that study of development been to you? Is that something that you still do to this day? Is the study of, you know, personal professional development, has that always been on your radar as things to do? Because as a young girl, I mean, you were achieving a lot of things and just probably doing it out of sheer tenacity, but was there also study that you were drawn to or went to by nature? What was it for you? It's such a beautiful question at the heart of everything that I am. So um, I, I have videos on this on Kim Daily TV, because when I say that I'm a mindset coach, like I tell everybody that I work with, you will become a million dollar business owner when you become the business owner worthy of the million dollar business, right? You have to sow the million dollar seeds to reap the million dollar seeds. So what does that mean? What it means is working on the inside. I just made a video about 
you know, there are all these external factors that people want to blame or feel victim to in their business, the economy, their location, their franchisor, their competition. But the reality is, if you can control certain things inside of you, you don't have to worry about anything external to you. And I've proven that to myself in my business. So to answer your question, it's all about personal growth. The more that I read, study, meditate on, open my heart to, experiment with, the more I become, the more I can give, and then the more I receive. So, I mean, I have affirmations right here under my desk. I recite, I'm I'm like big, I try anything. If I hear a really good idea about how somebody achieves something miraculous, like my, I am super passionate about uh, miraculous healings. And I study all kinds of alternative healers for, I crave the ability to learn that for some reason, to really understand. I know I already have it, but to, to really let go of the resistance that would allow me to do that. But what's so fun about pursuing that and being passionate about that is everything I learn when I turn it into business language or and try it in my business, it's the exact same thing, right? It's like, letting go of the resistance. So many people have small dreams because they're afraid to dream big, because they're afraid of being disappointed. They they don't feel worthy of it, but it's like, let go of all that stuff and just dream with reckless and abandon about how big your life can be and, and believe instead of talking yourself out of it, talk yourself into it. Because what if if it could happen, and I'll tell you, this is a true story of how I used affirmations. So in 2019, I read a book by Joel Osteen called The Power of I Am. And so it's all about affirmations. So I said, okay, I'm going to try the affirmations. So one of my affirmations was I wanted to write a book, which we talked earlier about being <laughs> yes. a writer or a talker. <laughs> yeah. So, so then you're going to enjoy this one. So I, I said, I want to, so I'm writing out the affirmation. I want to be a published author, but I'm like, that I'm a big dreamer. I'm like, I want to be a New York times bestselling author. I'm like, nah, I want to be, I am an international bestselling author. So I've never written a book, Patrick, but this is how audacious I am. I write on my affirmations. I am an international bestselling author. So I wrote it to inspire me to sit down and write the book that that's inside of me. Well, at the end of the year, I'd never got inspired to write the book. So I took that one off my list for 2020 in July, but the wheels were already in motion. This is by the law of attraction. So in July of 2020, a publisher from the UK found me he said, we're collaborating on a book on franchising. We found you on LinkedIn and we looked at all your stuff and we think that you, we would like you to participate. Would you like to participate? And I said, okay, like I only have to write one chapter. Okay. And I was not in any way correlating this to my desire to be a published author. So for some reason, it just didn't dawn on me. So I write my chapter, which of course is on mindset. <laughs> and uh, I turned it in. So he's in the UK. So we Zoom so we can see each other. So we're over Zoom and we're talking about it. And he's preparing me for like all the things that we're going to do to market the book. And he says to me at the end of the call, he says, Kim, I just want you to get ready because every book that we've published with a group of experts like you has gone on to become an international <laughs> best-selling book. I love that. Yeah, those are great stories. <laughs> love that. Now, I, you, I sat there with goosebumps 
all over my body, fighting back tears because I didn't I didn't want to tell him like what, you know, but this was a life changing moment. I have more, but this is one very true life changing moment. So that book was launched um, over Labor Day weekend. Within the first seven days, it sold 300,000 copies. It was published in 12 languages. It was number one in the U.S., number one or two in the U.K. and Australia. And it went on to become an international best-selling book in seven days. That's fantastic. So now I could say I am an international best-selling author. And you know what, Patrick? Brilliant. I didn't even have to write the stupid book. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Very, very good. You know, it's interesting that you bring up, a, you know, a point, and we see this all the time. You know, uh, I've been a small business coach and a real estate coach and an investor, all of the things. I've been a business owner for 37 years, worked with many small business owners. And I know my own struggles have always been, and it's something that you brought up, is that you really do need to become the person that you need to be to run the business that you dream of or that the vision you have for it. It is the old case of that it's, you know, it's it's not the goal, it's who you need to become to achieve the goal. That really is. You know, my wife is a mental performance coach, an Olympic class mental performance coach, has been to three Olympics, worked with hundreds of athletes over the years, but really understanding that the outcome, that moment in time, that gold medal is literally a moment in time. And who do you need to become to have that moment in time? And the journey that you go on is really about, it's less about, well, I shouldn't say that. There's a part of it, it's about what you do, but it's also about who you are being while you do it. And to your point around all of this, I think it's so interesting, and I got a couple of questions for you around it. It's so interesting to recognize that when you're talking to a franchisee and they're afraid to maybe dream big, do you see some of the blockage? And I want to get into it because I think listeners can appreciate it. Do you see some of the things that get in their way? Is the judgment of what they or the way they feel they're going to be judged by peers, family, friends, or others, or that they're surrounded by dream killers that are saying, this is crazy. Why are you even thinking about a franchise? So are these some of the blocks that you're also helping people get over? And is that something that you see is, you know, unfolding often? 100%. One of the earliest questions, one of the earliest conversations I always have is, are you the only decision maker? And if not, like if you're married and your spouse isn't on the phone, are you the only decision maker? Because we know the spouse is going to be part of that decision. We need all the decision makers present. And when all the decision makers are present, then we talk about how when you take this conversation outside of the world of these this franchisor and this family of franchisees and Kim Daly, the other people are not going through the same process you're going through. So whatever preconceived notions, head trash, whatever limiting beliefs that you had, when you first came to me, you have to believe that those people have those too. So if you're if you're asking them for advice, it's it's like silly because that's only going to help you talk yourself out of it. And you don't need any help to talk yourself out of it, right? Like we all talk ourselves out of our dreams, but we need the right people to help us talk ourselves into it. And the right people in the investigation are the people who are inside the system, not just the franchisor, but the family of franchisees, all of the other people who've already said yes to this business, who have what you want, who once stood right where you are, 
they have the answers to all of the questions and concerns that any candidate has. And part of our due diligence is to interview those franchise owners so that you can get a visual of a day in the life and when did you cash flow and what were you most nervous about and did it come true and are you worried about a recession and all of these things so that you as the investor don't have to recreate the problems of the business. You can ask the people who are already in it for the answers. So when you were growing up and, you know, as I listened to your story a little bit and you're a young lady and you have these dreams or these aspirations, you know, you want to, you know, be on the stage and you want those gowns and that microphone and all of the things, the, the glam and the glitter, if you will. I mean, those are big dreams for a young girl and to, to take on. And where and how do you, when you look back on that, Kim, were you just not at the effect? I mean, you certainly had supportive parents, supportive family. Your brothers were probably teasing you or maybe your sisters. I don't know. But my point is, is that were you just built that way to take that on and go, no, nothing's getting in my way? Or how did you deal with the teasing that you got and all the things? I know your dad helped you, but what was internally, do you think now in hindsight, in reflection, because you've talked to thousands of real or uh, thousands of potential entrepreneurs who are constantly trying to talk themselves out of doing it. Like what is, what was, you know what I'm saying? Like what was your conversation, internal dialogue and how were you busting through it? It's still like, it's so funny because I'm a very extroverted social person. I love people, but I spend a significant amount of time alone just for that reason. Um, Because I do find it hard to not, judge myself or the size of my dreams or goals, not anymore so much because I've just gotten over it, but through the years, you know, where I wanted to achieve more than people around me, or it was just in me. I just knew that I was built for something more than what I was currently living with. And I, and so you have to like kind of get strong within yourself, but that also goes back to the reading, the, the spirituality, the meditating, prayer, um, and just building your own faith in yourself and in God and and keeping your dreams to yourself. Um, when, when I first broke free and built this history-making business in the franchise that I'm in, I told nobody. I, I had a mentor, and my mentor and I were the only ones that knew. Um, more because the goal, I didn't know at the time that it was a history-making goal. Thank Again, thank God, because I might have like talked myself down from it if I had known. Um, but because I didn't want anybody to fill my head with anything negative, I just, like, I had a hypothesis, like, what would happen if... And instead of, again, talking to people about it who would talk me out of it, I just every single day came to work and talked to myself as if I had already done it. And when I ever, again, when the CFO of our my franchise, Franchise, reached out to me and told me, because I stopped counting in the fourth quarter, so I was dangerously close to my financial goal. And I was like getting all superstitious and I didn't want to like freak myself out. And I never want to make it, a, my business is very people focused. So yes, I have financial goals, but it's be, I reach the financial goal because I serve enough people. And so I I wanted to let go of the money part because I think it just gives like bad juju. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if you're clinging to making a certain amount of money. So anyway, when I, I was, I ended up being $4 and 28 cents over my goal. 
again, um, talk about another, you know, spine tingling, you know, moment when you I got that call and he told me and I sat in this chair in my office and thought, unbelievable, the power of intention and mind. That year, I didn't even have a plan because I had never been done. It was just like an idea in my head. So I think that if you want to live a life less ordinary, you do have to choose your friends very carefully. When I was 13 and I was being like pushed out of the social groups and cliques because I wanted to become Miss America, it was a tough lesson at 13, but it proved to be one of the best lessons of my life to choose your friends wisely and to it's okay to just keep what you're doing to yourself because you know what nobody else out there can help you anyway success is an inside job <laughs> right? mm-hmm. so the fewer people you involve in it the fewer naysayers you have and the probably the more reality you have of bringing it to life you know, and who cares what other people think? I don't care anymore. Like I, I want to, I have ridiculous goals, Patrick, like ridiculous goals. Only my mom and my dad know some of the ridiculous goals that I have. I told you at the beginning, I have a, I, I want to be on, I want to do a TED talk. Like that's a ridiculous goal. I'm a little girl from New Hampshire. It's about as ridiculous as Kim, Kim, Kim Connor when I was little wanting to become Miss America. Oh, but I don't know. What? I don't you. know. Having spoke with you now for whatever it's been, a uh, half an hour, 45 minutes, whatever it's been, <laughs> no doubt you will end up on TED Talk. So great and good for you. Uh, but it's interesting that you make such a great point about, and that's a lesson that I learned way too late, actually, is not sharing all of your dreams and aspirations with really anybody outside of a very close circle that you may have. And uh, for all of the reasons that you happen to mention, which is, you know, the next thing you know, you're actually justifying and quantifying and qualifying why you would do that based on their filters and how they see the world. And, uh, you know, I really admire the fact that you got that lesson uh, early because it really does make a difference. I've seen over the years, uh, so many people's dreams get shut down because they shared it outside of, you know, some people that they should have shared it with and and it shut them down. They started to second guess themselves. Tell me a little bit, uh, Kim, I'm interested in terms of this business that you own today that you have made, you know, award winning and the biggest, the best, all of that. But where did that idea, do you think, where did it come from? What triggered that? Do you remember what triggered that idea and why it showed up for you? Oh, to build that this historic business? Yes. Well, it was just a, you know, like the same. It, it, I don't know. I don't know where the ideas come from, Patrick. I just, <laughs> um, I just dream big, and it was a financial goal. And you know, like when I, I remember when my first sales job in that franchise consulting business when I was twenty, you know, three, twenty-four years old. And in the same thing, when I, I talked about the Boston College Alumni Fund, I mean, back then it was pure money. I remember, like, I, I set a goal, and in in the first like uh, boss I had, the only boss I had at 25, I left working for other people and I've been self-employed since I was 25, but he, he was very um, good to me in terms of like coaching my mindset and a little bit hard on me that at the time I didn't appreciate, but I really look back again with fondness on kind of probably like a boot camp, you know, instructor, you know, like I was a little afraid of him, but he made me fearless. And there's part of that in reaching these really big goals. But um, 
so he he would he set a goal with me, a financial goal. And I said, I, I want to take home a commission check of ten thousand dollars. And I remember when I got that check, I, re, I went out and I bought my first piece of beautiful jewelry. Um, I still have it today. It's a ring. And it, compared to what I would buy today, it's not beautiful, but that's where I was. And so then from there, I wrote a check to myself for $100,000 because I went from $10,000 to $100,000. Like, this is just what I do. And it took several years for me. But I woke up when I woke up one day and found that check in my wallet, Patrick, I I was making that money every single month. So it's like, if you have... you. I tell my people though, the reason I can share these stories with you that people say, oh, that's so inspiring, but it's, it, you can have those stories too, but you have to dream. The reason I've lived so many dreams is because I dared to dream them. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no dream, no living the dream. <laughs> What I found, I found interesting, I found interesting something you said, uh, Kim, which is, you know, you know, you talked about, you know, because I, I know what gets in people's way often is their fear of what the judgment that they're going to receive or that somebody's going to think of them. And, and, and there is lots of people that are very limited and worried about that, especially in the social media world and, you know, where everything goes, seems to go viral or get online. So here's, here's the point. I'm listening to you talk about this and you go, I don't care what people think. Yet you came, and I get that, by the way, and but I'm also thinking that you came off many years of being on stage, of actually being judged, of actually having people go, you know, she's do this, she's do that, whatever the judgment is in, in a pageant kind of. So I, I'm sure that has to toughen you up as well. And at some point, you got to let go of that judgment. I mean, I, I've been involved with judged sports. And so I also know the impact that can have mentally and emotionally on an athlete. Was that part of your conditioning, do you think? Possibly, but you know what's so funny? All the years that I competed, I just wanted to entertain. I never did a pageant to win. I always did it to have fun. I so I I never had like a polished talent. <laughs> so I hired an acting coach because I I can sing well <laughs> enough, but I'm not an opera singer, right? Like I can dance well enough, but I'm not a ballerina. I'm not built like a ballerina. I'm muscular. So what is, the, what is this girl who wants to be on stage going to do for a talent? So I hired an acting coach. My mom hired the acting coach and his name was Tad. And we, I used to write my own scripts and he would compose the music and we would record it. I went all over the United States of America as a teenager winning talent shows. I even got in front of, at the time it was, um, Joan, what's the woman with the big team? <laughs> Joan Rivers. <laughs> Joan Rivers. Joan okay. Rivers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, her then agent and one talent he like took us to atlantic city told my parents he was going to make me a star like so to answer your question i never cared about even when i was young i mean yes i i always wanted to win if i could but for me it was more about the opportunity to better myself i always looked at it as personal growth i would go into these interviews 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, and I would win lots of local competitions and I would end up in regional and national competitions. And you're in front of these very prestigious judges and you're like, I'm like 15 years old. And they're asking you, you know, intimidating questions on purpose to see what you do under pressure. And you're like, you can, you can shrink back and be like, what's the perfect answer? Or you can be like, I don't know the answer to that question. And I, that's always 
how I would approach it, being real, being genuine, being myself. And that always won. It always made me stand out because I wasn't trying to impress anybody. So I went into the theater in high school for, again, it, for me, yes, part of the things I did in pageants was being judged, but I never did it for the judgment. I only did it because I, I love performing and I was just too practical to go to New York or LA and pursue that hard, hard life of being an actress or being, you know, on Broadway. Um, but look, God brings it full circle. I, I built this YouTube channel. It's like, seriously, the greatest thing I have ever done in my entire <laughs> life. I have had more fun creating content around business ownership and franchising than I should have for sure. That's, that's <laughs> phenomenal. Now, Kim, so, you know, as we start to kind of wind down, there's a couple of questions that I definitely want to get, you know, see your perspective of it is that often, oh, let me just ask the question. If sitting here today, you look at all that you've accomplished, you look at some of the vision that you have for the future, how would you, and how do you define success for you? Okay. So you can make tons of money, right? But if you don't have inner peace, you are not, I'm not, I would not define that as success. My success is, I define my success when things like that international best-selling author book come to me. I didn't even have to effort for that, right? Like when, and when I can coach other people to know like to what I've done in my business and give them the science of what I've done and they go out and they do it and they write me a testimonial or they call me to celebrate and they give me that satisfaction of like, ah, I knew it could work, you know? It's not just for me, but it's for other people. That's success. When I can share a life lesson with my kids and they'll actually listen, which is very rare because they're teenagers and they're not as open as I was with my parents. Um, but that's success. But I think at the, at the end of all of that, it's being happy, right? It's waking up every day. I, I never say have a great weekend to anybody. I, because I don't, I don't really care if it's Friday or Monday. It's all the same to me. I do not begrudge my work days. I, I live to come to my office and help people as equally as I live to get on an airplane and take a vacation with my family. And I think that is the best definition of success. It's what I would absolutely want for every single investor that I work with. You know, it's interesting. And that's great, by the way. You know, I, I heard a definition of success. I've recently been asking this question because I start to realize that few people have a definition of it. I actually had to, you know, at this point in my life, you know, being north of 64, looking at what I'm doing, I'm going, how do I even define my own success these days? How do I actually measure it? And can I measure it? And so I was going through this whole kind of, you know, self-reflection and then having interviewed so many guests and talked to so many people. And what I got to was a definition that says success is when the vision for my life lines up with the reality of my life. And I went, that is a terrific definition. And as I'm listening to you speak, I went, that really is, you're living the definition of success. And because I've asked, I've started to ask the question and go, okay, well, take money out of it. How do you measure success? And 
not everybody has a vision of multi-millions. It's not something that whatever, they're, they're not wired to money. They're really, they could be just full-time moms or dads and that would be enough. But when your vision uh, for your life lines up with the reality of your life, that really resonated for me. And as I was listening here uh, with you, Kim, it really, you really kind of are, are the epitome of that definition in this interview. That's how it shows up. So I want to share That's that with awesome. you. Thank you. The tagline for Kim Daily TV is the best dreams are those we live. And you know what? I, I came up with that tagline in after our 10th um, video shoot, which was in January of this year. And I was, I, I had this surreal moment in the middle of talking to the camera that day. I had like this like flashback of like, look at me. I'm a motivational speaker. What I always wanted to be at 15 and couldn't figure out how to do and had all these limiting beliefs about how I'd have to travel. And, you know, and I didn't want to live out of a suitcase because I'm a homebody and I love my dogs and my kids and my own bed. And, and I was in the middle of making this video. I had this surreal like realization of I am living my dream of being a motivational speaker. We make videos in my house. Beautiful. <laughs> Me too. Yes. <laughs> and look how God brought that whole thing around to me because I didn't talk myself out of it. I just kept pursuing it and growing and going where my life took me. Going into franchising was like a risk, but it felt good at the time. And look where it took me. It took me exactly where I always wanted to be. And at the end of that video shoot day, before I washed off all my makeup, I sat down and I made a video. It's on Kim Daily TV. And I the whole point of making that handheld camera video, because I'm not a fan of that one, those kind of videos, was um, just what I already said, that the reason I'm making this video isn't to sit here and brag about that, oh, I'm living my own dream. The reason I'm making the video is to inspire you to dream. Because mm. <laughs> the reason I can live this day is because I had a dream, right? So the best dreams are the dreams we live a hundred percent. I love it. Your vision. And definition of success are a hundred percent is a hundred percent mine. Yeah, I love that. That's so great. So, Kim, I want to say, you know, that we got to wind down. I mean, you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate it. This has been just a fascinating conversation. I love these kinds of conversations. It's kind of the world that you know I like to observe. And you know, my wife and I both, uh, you know, Stephanie as my wife Stephanie as a a coach in the kind of the mental aspect of sport and business. You know, these are all very much aligned with our values. And before I start to kind of wind down and some questions, I want to, other questions that I want to ask you, I want to talk about values, you know, life's values, business values. You know, have you come to the realization that living your values or defining your values are an important aspect of what actually not only drives your business, but the decisions that you make and who you hang out with and all of the, I guess, really how you are in what you're doing because you're living true to your values and that you're clear on them? A hundred percent. And like I tell all of my candidates, look, when you get clear and specific about who you are and the owner that you want to be, you're going to realize that you don't have to attract every customer. I don't need everybody. There are people that I don't want to attract through my YouTube channel. I want to attract the people that I can help. 
And there are certain qualities and characteristics about those people. And I have to say that 100% of the people that have been attracted to me through my YouTube channel are exactly the people that I want to attract. So I, I definitely, I think that like, look, they say you become like the five people that you hang, you know, closest to you, the five people that you hang out with. Mm. Or, so you have to choose your circle of people very closely as we, we've already talked about for, for those reasons, but for other reasons. Um, I, I always have a mentor in my life. Um, and it's usually a man, which is sort of interesting, but I outgrew like one of the mentors I had our lives just like kind of like went different ways. And I, there was a period of time where I was like, gosh, you know, God, I, I, I want, I want this kind of a mentor. And I wanted somebody really big, somebody who really knew how to build big value because big value in the world turns into big dollars, which is really funny. I, and I, I want to mm -hmm. say this, like, it sounds like I'm super money motivated, but you know what? I live a very simple life and I give away money. Like my greatest joy in life is donating money to people. Like, I mean, I bought strangers cars. I do crazy things. But when we, when you define success, like when I can give money away to somebody that for me makes me want to make more money. So, um, uh, side note, but, um, I, so I want to do it. I wanted to find a mentor who could really get me to like the next level, like the biggest level that Kim Daly can dream financially. And I, years ago, I had recorded a radio show with a local guy here where I live, somebody from the gym. And, and, you know, I never, I didn't even really know the value of his show. He was just somebody that goes to my gym and he was like, Hey, I think my audience would be interested in franchising. We recorded it, whatever. I was happy to do it as a favor for him. Well, the mentor that I have today, who is exactly the person that I was asking to attract into my life, found me from that interview that I just thought I randomly did years ago. He said, I heard you on that show and I knew that I had to meet you. And we met and we started, we, the, our first conversation was just like a cold call. And like, I don't know why I had that time, but we spent two hours. He reminds me, do you remember our first call was two hours? It was just instant. And we, he, I, I asked him, I said, I I'm looking for a mentor and I want it to be you. And he's been my mentor now for three or four years. Wow. And, uh, he just helps me not just with like strategy and vision for my business, but like, I, I call him my, when I, when I'm having a day where like, I can't get myself into a good headspace and it happens once in a while, like I'm pretty powerful, but sometimes, you know, you just like, like can beat you down. Well, and so Kim, Kim, you're mere, you're a mere mortal after all. <laughs> I, I need somebody to like help me. He is the most, like, I think I'm an abundant thinker. He makes my thinking look small. And I talk to Jim and he just immediately brings me right back. He always knows exactly what to say to help me get back into remembering exactly who I am and what I'm here to do. And everybody needs somebody like that. Like if you're going to own a business, you need mentors in your business, but you need mindset mentors. Like, and I think I want to interview your wife, Stephanie. <laughs> I want to know your wife, Stephanie, because what she knows is all the stuff that I passionately pursue in my free time. You know, there's a, uh, something that you brought up around mentorship and, and coaching. And we often see what gets in people's way is that they're not willing to 
invest in themselves and or pay a coach slash mentor. And, you know, when somebody pushes back to you in that regard, what is your response to somebody who says, well, I just can't afford it or, I, you know, I, it doesn't make sense for me to pay a coach or I can't justify it? What is your response to somebody like that, Kim? Because we see it, and I know you have as well, uh, as coaches, you see it all the time where people just are not willing to invest in themselves. And, and we often say that, you know, we can't want something more for you than you want it for yourself. And then ultimately, you have to step up and say, this is what I'm prepared to do. But how do you handle those situations? Yeah, I think if you want to be the best at what you do, you have to have somebody who sees the game a little bit differently, like a coach does from the sideline, someone who's already been there and done that. I mean, in a franchise, you're paying the franchisor, right, to be your coach. But in addition to that, they're not mindset coaches. They're good operational coaches. Um, once in a while, they have accountability coaches, but I think everybody, and it's a discipline. In the beginning, we all need accountability coaches. And then eventually you get to where, you know, you're accountable to yourself. And I don't need an accountability coach. That's for sure. I probably need a coach more to be like, you need to chill out a little bit more. <laughs> Settle down, right? Kim. I just keep <laughs> driving and driving and driving and drive myself nuts and burn out. But I, I think that it's the best investment you can make. You know, in college, I was a personal trainer. To this day, I pay a personal trainer yes, four days a week. Why? Yeah. Because when I go to the gym, he he's up on the latest and greatest in, in exercise physiology and science, and he can make the most efficient workout for me in one hour so that I can keep getting stronger and better. And I don't pay him for accountability like other people do. I'm going to go to the gym with or without him, but I pay him for his knowledge. I pay him so that my time in the gym is effectively spent. And I think a business coach or a mentor is exactly the same, but it has to be somebody who's worthy of your money. You know, somebody sure. who, whether it's their, you know, motivational style like me or their practical style or their knowledge of sales coaching, if that's your weakness in business, like they have to align with where you want to go. A couple of years ago, I was building um, a personal coaching program called my the Daily Plan or the Millionaire Mindset Coaching Program. And then, again, this woman found me through LinkedIn and she actually reached out to me more to build a LinkedIn business. And I was like, well, I sort of, you know, already have what I want from LinkedIn. But I said, what else do you do? And we just started talking. And then next thing you know, she sent me an invoice for $7,000 and I was paying her to teach me how to build my first coaching program. So, you know, I, I, I know I love coaches. I'm, I want, I always want to be coached because I can always grow. I'm an avid reader. I, I, I probably read four to six books a month. Um, I audible books. Yeah, you know, I'm an audible guy too. Now. Yeah, for sure. I always have earbuds. I can never yell at my teenagers for their earbuds because I always have earbuds at the gym, in the car, like any free time I have. Um, um, I just love to read and grow. I, But I think that, that that wasn't always how I was. Once I plateaued in my business and, and wanted growth, I realized I had to grow. Like I had to learn. I had to surround myself with people who were smarter than me. Where were they? They were on podcasts. They were in, they were authors in books. They were, they're mentors like Jim. They're, they're, you know, people, they're people out there that have what I want. I just got to go find them. They're not going to like always find me, you know, hundred yeah, percent. Love it. Kim, we got to start to wind down because uh, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I got lots of questions I'd carry on to ask you, but you know, let's, uh, 
get into the, what I call the rapid fire component of this podcast as we wind down, wind things down. Intended to have a little fun. They're very rarely rapid, but we'll go through them anyways. You know, you said something about, um, you know, the fact that you're going to the gym, that you read a lot, but do you have some other self-care routines? How uh, important is that self-care aspect of it for you? And kind of give me some insights into what your routine and your commitment to yourself is. Setting my mindset every morning is the most important part of my day. You know, like whether sometimes it's journaling, sometimes it's sitting quiet. Um, it's some sort of meditation or prayer, or just like relaxing my mind and letting things just be. Because oftentimes when I stop thinking and just sort of listen, answers to questions that I've been asking or problems I've been trying to solve in my own strength will just come into my mind Up here. and I'll instantly like my name, the daily coach, when I was trying to figure out like, what do I, you know, how do I do it? And what do I call my business around franchising? And the, my last name is so beautiful for my very last name is so beautiful for marketing. I mean, we have the daily mindset, we have daily inspiration, we have daily motivation, we have the daily plan, we have daily focus. It's, it's so perfect for building a business, but I was toiling and toiling and toiling and toiling and I stopped and was still, and like that. I'm like, oh, the daily coach. <laughs> a play on my last <laughs> That's name. That's pretty perfect, so, yeah, good for you. I think you have to spend time every day, I do. Um, and, and it doesn't have to be long. I love it when it's long, but I often don't have a lot of time. Sometimes it's 15 or 20 minutes. Um, just setting aside. And at the end of my day also, I, my kids often find me like, I'll go up, I'll go up to my room around nine o'clock and shut the door. And they know that, you know, sometimes it's a full hour of meditation. I, I, I love meditation. Um, I love calming. If you can understand why mm -hmm. calming meditations to calm my nervous system at the end of the day, healing meditations, because I'm very, very interested in metaphysical healing. And I'm always just trying to experiment on myself with how far I can go with my mind. But for me, that's very important. Are you an early morning riser or how are you on the, you know, some people work late and sleep a little bit later. Some are, I'm an early morning guy, but I'm, I have a tendency to get to bed a little bit earlier. Thank you. I'm early to bed, early to rise. Yeah, there you go. Favorite book that you gift or one of the favorite books that was, I guess, you know, really a, perhaps even a fork in the road for you? There's so many favorite books, but the number one I always say is Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret. Ah, gosh, I haven't heard that one for a while. That is good, though. Very good. So I pay my kids to read good books. Yep. Like school makes them read certain books, but yep. I pay them because kids are mo motivated by money. And that's one of the first books. So for two years, I set a goal for two years I, and a timer on my phone. Every month on the first day of the month, I audible. It's a free audible. On, it's a free download on YouTube. Um, Earl Nightingale, The Strangest Secret. It's about a 25-minute YouTube video. And um, I would just go for a walk or get on the treadmill every month for two years. I pretty much had the book memorized. So that book will change your life because it was a, a constant habit of reinforcing to myself that how what I'm thinking about and what I'm talking about, I'm bringing about. And it took a long time to like really, really like stop talking against yourself. The tendency is to complain. The tendency is to think about the things that you're not getting in your business, to focus on oh, the deal I lost today rather than the, the one I got, right? 
And if you audible that book on a consistent basis and you just follow the 30 day, what Earl instructs you to do, all of those little habits will change and then you will have that winning mindset. Love it. Yeah. iPhone or Android? iPhone oh, all gee. the way. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm iPhone too, but I, I, I was converted. Okay. <laughs> What's it? Do you have a job that you do even though you hate it? Just you do it because you're good at it? Job that I do, you know, like laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. Okay. Taking out the garbage. I don't know. I'm a single mom. There's a lot of jobs single moms have to do. Let me tell you, being a single mom is like the hardest freaking job in the world. (laughs) That's hilarious. Favorite swear word? Oh, I can't say that on this video. (laughs) Are you really serious? My kids. They would probably say the S word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? I know you have many, but is there one that really comes to mind? Yeah, my favorite inspirational quote is the one I wrote. The best dreams are those we live. <laughs> there you go. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you get to the gates? Heaven absolutely exists. And I want God to say, well done, Kim. Well done. Room, desk, or your car? What do you clean first? My, my room, my bedroom. Overachievers are generally neat f- freaks, generally. So I meet, I meet everywhere, but my my car. Well, we ski and we live at the beach. Oh, okay. So my car can get pretty dirty, yeah, yeah. and I can let it go. But then I, I, it's probably the dirtiest of the three, but the last I'm likely to clean. <laughs> Favorite tune or band? Journey all the way. Wow. Made my kids know the sound of Journey from I'm a child of the 80s. Old old rocker. Okay. Do you have a favorite movie? Jerry Maguire. A hundred percent. Jerry Maguire, the first time I saw it, I hated the movie. And then I went back and I watched it and I realized all of life can be brought back to the one-liners in Jerry Maguire. <laughs> I have a girlfriend and we, every single thing that happens in life, like there was a period of time where we would like, she would text me or call me and tell me the story and then tell me the line from Jerry Maguire that made, that brought it home. So much wisdom from the late, great Dickie Fox well, and Jerry Maguire. <laughs> you never even had to think about that one. So that's got to be right up there on the top of your list. And I mean, I, I, I'm a pain in the butt to watch that movie with because I know the entire movie, like line <laughs> (laughs) by line it's bad that's hilarious okay and finally kim what are you grateful for today i think i'm so grateful for this time with you i mean i express gratitude every day i love my candidates i love my home i love my dogs i love my kids i love my business i love my health i love my opportunity that i get to wake up and and live every day but i'm really Look, I'm really grateful for this interview. You've asked some awesome questions. You've allowed me to share a lot about my business and myself. And I hope that your audience is grateful that we recorded this. Uh, I know my audience are going to love it. And I loved it. I am so grateful for having had the opportunity to have you join me on the show and get to know you a little bit better and to get to know you. I mean, we just literally just met. So you uh, really come into this whole world with lots of energy and lots of great Uh, insights into uh, life overall. And I know that listeners are going to really appreciate it. I'm also grateful as always for my health and for my life and for my wife and my family. So thank you so much uh, for joining me today, Kim. Eat your dogs. Don't forget your dogs. Oh, I can't forget. (laughs) I can't forget Echo and Enzo. No, no, I must not forget them. I am grateful for my dogs. Thanks for that reminder, Kim. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you again soon. 
That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.